wonderful people. Alhamdulillah, uh, you are all important and special because you are from the Ummah of Muhammad wasallam. Anyone who's from the Ummah of Muhammad wasallam is uh, one of the most important uh, persons in the world because this is what distinguishes us from other communities that uh, we are chosen to be part of this Ummah. Alhamdulillah, that is a tremendous follow and uh, ni'amah from Allah. So on this note, we will start in short. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyyina wa Mawlana Muhammadin wa Barik wa Sallam. So we are going to have, hopefully, can't easily have a dialogue of a Although I like the idea of dialogues in these settings, but uh, unfortunately you'll have to bear with me and assume this is a monologue. But whatever it is, we are uh, hopefully engaging in uh, speaking about the Prophet وسلم, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and establishing a connection with both Allah and the Rasul. So every Muslim has a connection with Allah, every Muslim has a connection with the Rasul whether they know it or not is just the way things are. But in order to enhance that connection, uh, we have been informed by the Quran and the Sunnah and by the Sahaba, the Tabi'in, the great scholars of Islam that are, inshallah, our teachers, our mentors that, um, you know, uh, practicing Islam itself is a proof that we are connected to the will of Allah. For every connection uh, and every relationship, uh, we must also appreciate with whom our relationship is. So who is Allah and who is the Rasul, sallallahu alaihi to us? as individuals and to us as uh, part of the Ummah. So there's an individual appreciation and there's a collective appreciation. So what we need to do uh, is we need to establish the appreciation for a communal understanding of Islam, a communal uh, action-based plan and agenda for the Ummah because we are all Muslim and we are all in this uh, search and quest for knowledge and search and quest for Laylatul Qadr together as one whole uh, community. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He reveals His word to the Prophet sallallahu and He gives the Prophet sallallahu news, information, He gives them instructions, do's and don'ts and uh, all of that. Okay, but the, here what we must try and appreciate is what is the intent of the divine for us at every moment. So in general Allah wants us to practice Islam and to follow the Prophet But as individuals uh, in our, our microscopic uh, lives, that in our personal lives, daily lives, we must try and uh, f- uh, gauge what is Allah's intent for me at this moment. At this moment, I need to do this or that. Uh, how does Allah want me to do this? And what should I do? What should I not do? Uh, so, which requires knowledge, uh, 
obviously of uh, wahi knowledge of the sunnah and so on so one of the first steps to creating love for Allah is to understand the Quran to recite the Quran and to act upon the Quran so these are three basic principles that we must realize and try and implement that reciting the Quran itself is a huge ibadah in of itself independent of understanding it and uh, we must appreciate this that when we are in tune and in sync with the divine then we want to recite his words as if uh, his words were music to our ears uh, that just as people sing songs uh, and they listen to music and then mu music transcends uh, geographical boundaries cultural boundaries uh, political boundaries, all sorts of boundaries, music uh, kind of goes over them. And then music brings people together in the community of music. So in that vein, the Prophet ﷺ told us, مَنْ لَمْ فَلَيْسَ مِنَّا That being part of this ummah requires uh, that, that you sing uh, the Qur'an, you recite it in such a way that it is, I'm paraphrasing, it's music to your ears, and if you don't do that, you're not part of this ummah, you're not part of this community. So here we see that an individual recitation of the Qur'an uh, leads to a communal value, a civilizational value. That Muslims, as a civilization, they recite the Qur'an as if they're singing the hymn and the praise and the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if to show that this is what we need to hear and we want to recite this purely out of pleasure and enjoyment to recite your word and to recite your Quran for no other reason except to be emotionally affiliated and emotionally touched by your word and by your Quran which is a huge, huge ibadah as the Prophet said that whoever recites Alif Lam Mim he gets 30 rewards uh, 10 reward for each letter and then he said I don't say that Alif is one letter Alif Lam Mim is one letter I say Alif is one letter Lam is one letter and Mim is one letter so each letter carries 10 rewards so just by saying reciting Alif Lam Mim you get 30 rewards that are invested for us in the Akhirah and we will use them, inshallah, when we get there. So this is ibadah, this is pure ibadah, that you enjoy the recitation of the Qur'an for the sake of loving Allah, loving His Word, with passion and with desire, and uh, with a lot of sentiment, uh, as the Prophet also advised us, that when we recite the Qur'an, we should cry. And if we can't cry, we should try to cry. Or you should pretend to cry act as if you're crying because you're now in sync with Allah's kalam that Allah's kalam by nature softens the heart it softens the mind it brings in you a certain emotion of love and creativity so you know the hadith of the Prophet goes such a long way to developing love for Allah by loving the Qur'an and loving the Qur'an is expressed primarily by reciting the Qur'an whether you understand it or not in the example Alif Lam Mim 
Nobody knows the meaning of Alif Lam Mim, so the Prophet ﷺ chose those three letters to show the Ummah that you don't have to understand the whole Qur'an in order to recite it, because you will be rewarded. Nevertheless, the second principle, obviously, is to learn it, uh, is to understand it, so that you know what Allah wants us to do, and the advice Allah gives, the instructions He gives, and all the, 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 the psyche that the uh, Qur'an develops in us, the intellect that the Qur'an develops in, the, in us, the nur that understanding the Qur'an develops in us and the ability to see right from wrong as the Qur'an is the Furqan, the criterion. Uh, these abilities, faculties are necessary to engage and uh, we must switch them on by understanding the beauty of the Arabic language and also the meaning of the words of the Arabic language and then the understanding of what is the murad, the intent of Allah when we are trying to understand his word which takes some skill set there is definitely intellectual component there there's an academic component also and those goes in you know various levels and various degrees and you never stop learning what the Quran means and so on so there in the community we do have places where you can go and learn the Quran academically and understand it intellectually and we must support those groups and be part of them uh, so that we have a narrative and we have a conversation about the murad the intent of Allah so we, we, when we have conversations about politics and uh, sports and stocks or what the community is doing and gossip and TV shows and God, know, God knows what so as we have now conversations about these things we should have conversations about what the Quran is saying what is the knowledge in the Qur'an? And this was a preoccupation of the Muslim Ummah in the past. That that's what they did. The, so they would go home and talk about these ayat and these ahadith and everything else. So, you know, it's not just uh, they didn't have any pastime. They did. But their favorite pastime of all was to recite the Qur'an and to understand it, to discuss it and make it a mainstream narrative so that we build what I call Muslim civilizational values. Once we do that, we are now expressing our love for Allah by doing this, engaging with the Qur'an in an academic uh, way and method and engaging in the Qur'an through intellectual discourse is a very positive sign that, alhamdulillah, we love Allah, we love the Qur'an and so on. And uh, obviously the third stage is to practice what the Qur'an is saying, which is the bottom line. Hmm? So the Qur'an simply is not philosophy and is not intellectual discourse uh, detached from action. So the Qur'an requires that we act on it. And uh, we, 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 we should really appreciate this because we follow the leader. Okay? There's no more intellectual, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, prowess, in anybody except with the Prophet The Prophet through our Aqeedah is the most intellectual human being ever. No one is more intellectual than the Prophet So as he understood the Qur'an, as he recited the Qur'an, he also practiced the Qur'an to the degree where Aisha was asked, tell us about the Prophet she said his mannerisms, his behavior, his character, that was all the Qur'an. He became 
living embodiment of the Quran so this is how we should strive and aspire to become as much as knowledge we gain alhamdulillah that in itself is a huge ibadah but the fruit of that knowledge uh, is to act and to practice the way Allah wants us to the way the Prophet showed us so all these three components come together and uh, you know once we do that we express immense love uh, with passion for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala okay, behaving well according to the Quran is now appreciating Allah's murad for us for example in the Quran the Quran spoke, speaks about certain characteristics and moral values and behavior وَالْكَاظِمِينَ الْغَيْظِ وَالْعَافِينَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَاللَّهِ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Very simple. That one of the values that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants the Muslims as a community to develop is to, you know, وَالْكَاظِمِينَ الْغَيْظِ to, to, to swallow their, their anger. So when we have conversation with people and we're discussing things and obviously tempers flare up and people fly off the handle, here Allah is saying, no. Swallow your anger. This is the Quranic value. So now, if you recite the Quran and you know this, but you don't do it, okay, then you're not quite there in terms of expressing your love for Allah and your love for the Rasul sallallahu So this is a huge quality that we can develop within ourselves. Think about ourselves, the, the times that we fly off the handle and the times that we lose our temper and the times when we get angry for no reason and every reason. Okay, those are the times when these ayat must come to us and uh, we must then practice these. It doesn't mean to say that it's difficult, it's always difficult and that's the challenge that life is a challenge and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throws us into these challenging situations as a test. So that he may test you and see which one of you is the best in behavior and the best in action. And those who pardon and forgive people, invariably when you get angry, that you're going to hold grudges and you're going to feel sour, you're going to have a bitter aftertaste and you won't forget, you don't want to forget because you want revenge until your nafs is satisfied with that revenge and even if it does uh, seek revenge, it won't be satisfied. So Allah says, well, Afi, just forgive people. It's okay, not the end of the world if you forgive somebody. And so so the, 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 as a, in the spirit of Ramadan and fasting, obviously, this comes along that uh, Muslims in their behavior is not just outside on the streets or when we're talking or when we're talking about Islam that we practice Islam it's in the most difficult micro level behavioral situations that we need to practice implement the Quran so in this micro level that we're having an argument with say our spouse or our children or, or parents or friends or whoever or the Imam in the masjid then remember this ayah that those who swallow their anger and they are called muhsineen by Allah at the end Allah loves those who are muhsineen those who have ihsan in them those who can show kindness to others and to themselves so this is the ultimate expression of love for Allah and the Rasul that is to overcome the temptations of the nafs and the ego and to follow the prescription of the Quran and to follow the behavior and pattern of the Prophet Muhammad uh, So this is how we now develop, inculcate love 
and so on. So, along with this, once you understand uh, that this is done, and this is how Muslims of the past, especially the Sahaba, and all the Anbiya, this is how they behaved on a regular basis, then you get a taste of, you know, more subtle knowledge, a finer, deeper level of knowledge that leads into understanding how Allah works uh, through His names and attributes and how you can also ascend uh, to that level where you start to understand all of this. There's just um, a caution here which some people still might be, you, you know, concerned about and say, okay, all of this, uh, what the West calls them, organized religion. Why can't you just do what comes to your heart? Okay. So many people, especially in the West, they hate the idea of organized religion. That in order for you to show love for God, you must do it this way. Why can't you just do it the way it comes to you, in a very subjective way, and so on. Okay. This disease was there amongst some of the early Muslim groups, uh, especially the philosopher. The philosophers, where, where they, they, they felt that they were uh, kind of above uh, the common religion. And religion for them was just thinking about Allah and thinking about the Prophet and what is the beauty, the intellectual discovery of Islam and the inner discovery of Islam and the esoteric meanings of Islam was what they you know, thrived on. And that was their mindset and that was their civilizational value, so to speak. And they said the religion, organized religion is for common people. It's not for us because we're sophisticated and we're high and above what other people need. Our needs are met simply through thinking, intellectualizing and ascertaining the truth in uh, intellectual discourses, that's our ibadah, and so on. Which obviously is a fallacy, and it leads to kufr eventually. The point here is that uh, as we develop love for Allah, we should also develop love for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's our leader, he's our imam, he's our guide, he's our rasul, he's our nabi. And we want to be with him. Uh, and think of him in the grave and we want to be with him on the day of judgment and in Jannah so obviously okay, we have a, you know, a tall order okay. meaning that if the most intellectual person that is Muhammad وسلم, always practice the common Islam then who are we to say we don't need to follow the Prophet there's nothing esoteric about that, meaning uh, the, the, the Prophet personifies Allah's murad. The, the Prophet وسلم, he personifies what is Allah's intent. Okay, so you see Allah's intent in the Prophet and that is Aisha's observation. And that I observe this Rasul, uh, Rasul وسلم, as the manifestation of Allah's intent. And he manifested everything about Allah's intent throughout his life that the Quran well, he was the living Quran and he did everything according to what the Quran wants us to do and that came with organized religion so if organized religion is the only way to follow the Prophet and the only way to show love for Allah and for his intent and to show love for the Prophet then so be it what needs to happen is that these people these types of people 
need to overcome their nafs, they need to overcome their, their, their temptations and passions, and a little bit of their ego. Okay. That as normal people eat, drink, and they rest, and they do things that are very mundane. Likewise, you do the same thing. You're not exempt from doing the normal things that all other human beings do. And that's what the message of all prophets were. To the degree where Allah subhanahu wa says about Isa salam and his mother, Maryam, Allah be pleased with her, uh, that kana yakulan ta'am a very simple concept Allah brings down so that the Christians would see that they're not divine they're human very simple statement but it has a, a very very deep meaning and that is they both of them used to eat food so Allah says about Isa and Maryam kana yakulan ta'am they would eat food so if they were so high and mighty and very esoteric and above everybody, why would they need to eat food? So eating food is something that is common to all human beings. The divine doesn't need to eat. He feeds people. He doesn't eat. He feeds. He is not fed. So in our discussion with understanding whether a human being is actually divine, okay, we, we, we have to present the role model of all the prophets and their followers and they were common people they were ordinary people except being ordinary doesn't mean to say you can't reach the intellectual heights and reaching intellectual heights doesn't preclude you from following the Prophet وسلم, for your salvation so there the love should be that you sacrifice your ego okay, and you don't act on this very high and mighty pseudo-sophisticated uh, understanding or misunderstanding of Islam and say, I'm above all this, I don't need this. You do need it, you need it much more than other people. Uh, so that will be the caveat uh, to all of this discussion, uh, that we, we must stay in the lane of all human beings, that uh, we, we all stay in the lane of all Muslims, we stay in the lane of the Sahaba, that they did this, and it's not about organized religion or personal subjective religion is not about the esoteric or the exoteric it's about Islam period all of this is Islam so there's a role for those who want to engage in academic activities and there's a role for those who want to engage in, in, in esoteric activities and there's a role for those who want to engage in community social service uh, type of activities and there's a role for those people who want to teach and learn there's a role for every Muslim any Muslim can play any role it doesn't mean to say that this one because this one plays this role is going to be superior and therefore exempt from following a major tenant of Islam it doesn't work that way but that can only happen if there is sincere love genuine respect for the authority of Allah and the authority of the Prophet and that has to be appreciated with love and not through necessarily logic a Sahabi came into the Masjid after making wudu as he came in the Prophet saw that there was a dry area behind his ankle where the wudu water had not touched. So the Prophet said to him, 
you have not make wudu you have not made wudu go back and make your wudu hmm. now uh, how many things come to mind here hmm. one is that perhaps in this day and age if anyone dare to tell any other person that your wudu is not done yeah, there'll be a, a major catastrophe in the masjid yeah people will be all over you, that person why, why are you telling this person his wudu is not done? But that, the, the, what, what the Prophet ﷺ did was he established a platform of love first. The grounding was grounded in love for the Prophet ﷺ. So this Sahabi, without even thinking twice, without doing anything, he immediately went back, did his wudu and came back. Mm. Now can you see that happening today anywhere? Mm. And that is because th there's actually very little love for the fiqh. The fiqh is not something that people kind of shoot from the hips. It's based on the Quran, Hadith. It's based on the Sunnah. Uh, these were very pious people who informed us about the rules of fiqh because they want to make sure that our ibadat are good and genuine. So we, we don't invent fiqh. Uh, Unfortunately, some people think that we invent fiqh. We don't invent fiqh. Okay, we explain it the way the Sunnah explains it. So, what I'm saying is that the Prophet and the love for the Prophet from the Sahaba, uh, it was such that they, they they were willing to sacrifice their ego, sacrifice their understanding in order to follow the Prophet And this was no more apparent than in Hudaybiyah. Uh, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which is obviously a political thing, if you want to give it that name, okay, that this is a political thing is happening here in Hudaybiyah, that the Muslims are barred uh, from entering Mecca. The Kafir, the Mushrik, uh, the people of Quraysh, they don't want the Muslims to enter, and that they're not giving them their uh, freedom of religion to do what they can for their religion. So they stop them. Whatever. So the Prophet engaged in a treaty with the Quraysh and with the Kuffar and then there were some points in the treaty that all the Sahaba disagreed. They didn't like it. In fact, they were very sad and depressed that why is the Prophet signing off on these concessions which favor them and there's no advantage for us Muslims in this treaty whatsoever. Everybody, even Omar, uh, they were all depressed and sad that this seems like a loss for us. You know. But then Abu Bakr, as usual, came to reaction and said, He's the Prophet. We do what he says. Yeah. So then the Prophet, وسلم, he shaved his hair, uh, Mubarak, and he then slaughtered the uh, animal he brought for sacrifice. And all the Sahaba, grudgingly, reluctantly, they followed him. But they never argued with him. They didn't ask him to justify his rationale. Because they all knew he's the Rasul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they, they followed him willingly or unwillingly. They did the job. And because of that immense sacrifice that the Sahaba showed through their love for the Prophet Allah rewarded them immensely by opening up the doors of conversation and dialogue and then uh, giving way for the Prophet to enter Makkah without any fight whatsoever you know, a year or so later. Yeah. So this is now 
when, when, when you're talking about where the high level engagement, uh, the political level is, is about the ummah, is about the community, and we should do everything for the community where, you know, this is my point of view, this is your point of view, and uh, we don't have a vehicle or a system by which we can agree to do anything, and hence nothing gets done. But with the leadership of the Prophet ﷺ, which inculcated ishq for the Rasul, love for the Rasul, the Sahaba conceded. And they went along with it. And Allah knows best what he is doing. The Rasul knows best what he is doing. And because of that acquiescence, uh, acquiescence at that level, one is the level of Salat and Wudu, which I just shared with you. Okay, this level of Salat and Wudu, so this is from Allah, we don't know what happens with Salat and Wudu, so this must be from the Wahi uh, to the Prophet But there are this political level, where everyone's a genius, and everyone knows how to solve all the problems of the world, conceding to somebody else, who apparently is now conceding to the Quraysh, uh, that takes immense love, and that takes immense passion to follow. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is the ishq, ishq of Allah, ishq of Rasul, is represented in the Sahaba. The Sahaba were the people that uh, came to serve Allah and the Rasul. They were chosen by Allah and the Rasul to be the Sahaba, and they are our role models. We emulate them in whatever we try to do, in terms of policy, in terms of thinking, in terms of doing this, this, and that, and so on. Okay, that's that. One final point about uh, love for Allah and love for the Rasul when we express our love in all areas of life and in all areas of Islam, most importantly, hmm, that in areas of Islam where we, we, we have you know, ideas about how the world should be or how the world should not be and we are frustrated with whatever's happening in the world, there are too many fights and too many wars and too many genocides and too much killing. Uh, too much depression and, and you know there, there are too many mental diseases and uh, too many economic problems, social problems, cultural problems, etc. So the, the world is filled with problems. We live in problems, which is what the Quran says: The insan has been created in turmoil. So turmoil is a container, and man has been thrown into this container of turmoil. Fi kabad, trial and labor. Yeah, and stress as a test. Allah make it easy for us. Allah keep us in His afia and allow us to, inshallah, navigate these tests with ease and comfort, inshallah. So in these very trying times where there seems to be nothing except desperation and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, what keeps us going is love for Allah and love for the Rasul. Love for Allah. Allah is our Khaliq. He is our Maker. And he knows how we are, he knows what he is doing, and he has a reason, a purpose, whether we know it or not, but that keeps us going because we are, you know, in, in love with Allah, whatever his plan is, eventually, uh, inshallah, Allah will reward us immensely. As he says, hisab." That indeed, those people who are patient, their ajr, their reward will be without any hisab, no calculation, beyond calculation, we will get that reward, inshallah, which is what we do in Ramadan, in fasting. Fasting uh, is all about sabr and patience. 
that we are tired, we are fatigued, we are hungry, we go to work, we do this, we do that, and uh, there's no food, there's no water, even though it's there, but we can't do anything because Allah doesn't want us to. So our expression for Allah's will and the love to follow Allah's will in Psalm is very emphasized and very apparent and very obvious. But yet we refrain. That's called patience. There's food there on the table, the iftar is ready, all these delicious uh, you know, cuisine and dishes are right in front of us. But you dare put that date in your mouth before the time comes because everybody at the table will slap you. That's love for Allah's hukum, for Allah's murad. And then love for the Rasul وسلم, is also very manifest for us. In the sense that when you read the seerah mubarakah of the Prophet وسلم, and we compare his trials against ours, there's no comparison. So when you look at the Prophet's life and you see he was tested more than any other human being and we're tested here, then our tests become very minimal. Okay, they become very small in front of the test of the Prophet So when we have this study and this idea and this observation, then that brings love in our hearts for the Prophet and love for the Prophet makes our lives easier to handle. So if that's the intent, that you want to understand the murad, the intent of Allah, and you want to follow the Prophet then it's not that difficult. It is easy. It's a question of mind over matter. But more than that, it's a question of making sure you have a role model. Our role model is the Prophet Muhammad and his inspiration is all Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with this we make dua, inshallah, that Allah keep us and preserve us. Allah keep us in his afiyah and comfort. Allah forgive us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save all of us from the punishment in the grave and punishment on the day of judgment, punishment from the fire of hell. Allah bless us all and our families. Ameen.